Please turn in your New Testaments to John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. John 20, 24 through 29. And uh, when you get there, just hold that place for a moment. I want to ask you uh, a question that you can answer. You can answer it out of your experience, and it has a lot to do with what was going on uh, Friday and Saturday and Sunday uh, in our text. And the question is, what is it like when you get burned by somebody really bad? What's it like when you get really severely let down by someone? Or maybe you even feel betrayed by someone. What is that like? You know what it's like. You know that it's disheartening. You know that it is depressing. And the amount of depression, frankly, sometimes depends on how let down we are. That Saturday morning. That is Saturday morning after Good Friday. They are let down. We can't even probably imagine the depths of, of just how disheartened and how depressed the, the followers, the disciples of Jesus are. One scholar puts it this way. He says, if you have ever given your whole life to a dream only to have it fall apart, then you know the utter despair the disciples felt when he called it Black Friday turned to Blue Sunday. And that's kind of where we left it in Good Friday. And Jesus is buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. But then, right? That's why we're here this morning. But then, on Sunday morning, the women went out to to check on the body, and they discovered that the body was not in the grave anymore. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on. They ran back to tell the others. Peter and John ran, and they found the grave just as the women said. This is in John 20, uh, starting with verse 1 and all the way through 18. And as they leave, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. And she remembers she clings to him and, and he says, go and tell my disciples that I have risen and I'm going ahead of them. And so she goes back. She says, the, the Lord is risen. He, I've seen the Lord. Now, this is, as we call it, a game changer, right? I mean, this is the, the depths of depression that becomes kind of the, the height of joy. Hope has risen from the dead. That night, Jesus appeared, still on Easter. We read about this in John 11. You remember, we're kind of going through the Gospel of John. John 11, excuse me, verse, chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. He meets with the disciples behind the closed doors in Easter. What does Easter mean? Well, Easter means Jesus risen. Easter means Jesus is alive. Easter means Jesus is better than alive. He is now indestructible. He is in a resurrection body. He is reigning and He can give salvation to anyone He wants to, to all those who come and put their trust in Him. Easter means, frankly, in the midst of the life that gets rather down and depressed, that everything is new because of the hope that is new. A.B. Simpson 
uh, one of my spiritual heroes, called Easter, I've always loved this, the New Year's Day of the Soul. Don't you love that? Easter's the New Year's Day of the Soul, meaning it's all new with Easter. It's, it's all about what will happen and the possibilities and, and all the joy. Easter means that Christ lives and so do I. The night, night has passed. The dawn has broken. It's an eternal dawn. Easter means that Jesus is able to give the forgiveness that He has won for us on the cross to us because He's not dead, because He lives. He's able to give the relationship that He has won for us on the cross because He has risen. Easter means all things are new. Christ is on the throne. It's going to be okay, finally. For those who believe in Jesus because of Easter, the resurrection changes everything. Now, folks, it's Easter. <laughs> it is Easter. Christ the Lord has risen today. Ah, alleluia. And you know what? Easter would be a great time for you by faith, to get your life back in sync with the resurrection. With that joy. With that assurance. With that life. With that hope that has risen. I don't know what you've brought here today. But God is offering something to us through these scriptures that show that Jesus is no longer dead. He appeared to the disciples that night behind the closed doors. This is John 20. Verses 19 through 23, we read, it says, they were glad. Maybe an understatement. They were glad. They were amazed. And their depression turned into joy and into wonder. It's Easter. That was the first Easter. They're feeling it. Are you feeling it on Easter? Not everybody's feeling it. And not everybody in John chapter 20 is feeling it. And so we get to our text, John 20, verses 24 through 29, that starts with these words, Now Thomas, <laughs> now Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, or the twin, was not with them when Jesus had appeared to them in the upper room. So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord, Thomas. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails, unless I place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days passed with Thomas still lingering in this disheartened, depressed state, and emotionally he's saying, I'm not going there again. I'm not going there. Verse 26 of John 20. Eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom to you. Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands 
and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him and to us, Have you believed because you have seen me? How blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen me. No, Thomas wasn't feeling it. And he earned himself a nickname, unfortunately, that has stuck with him for over 2,000 years. You know, you just hate it when that happens, when a nickname sticks with you over 2,000 years. I mean, he does end up believing, but we still call him what? Doubting Thomas. That's right. Thomas. I mean, can you see the other disciples? Thomas, are you listening to us? We saw him. We were with him. But Thomas is one of those thorough souls, one of those sensitive souls that likes to click through all the details of things. You know, everybody doesn't treat every aspect of reality the same way, do they? There are very sensitive and thorough souls amongst us. This wasn't the first time that Thomas kind of stood out as the, the clarifier stood out as that, that fine-tooth comb type of realist, that sensitive, thorough person. You go back to John 14 where Jesus uh, begins to tell them, do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he goes on to talk about the fact that he is leaving. This is before the crucifixion, obviously. And what is he going to do? And I'll kind of skip to, and I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come back for you to take you to be with me so that you can be with me where I am. I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven. And Jesus says, you know the way to the place that I'm going. And everybody's like bobblehead. Except for who? Thomas. Thomas basically says what other people are thinking. Thomas says, raises his hand, excuse me. We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I mean, we're kind of rough on Thomas, aren't we? That's a great question. You kind of get a feel for Thomas's makeup. We, excuse me, we don't know where you are going, so we don't know the way. Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, I am the way. I am the way. The truth. And the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of Christianity in the sense that if Jesus is still dead, the cross means nothing. Or as Paul says, we are still in our sins. Because a dead Jesus simply cannot give life and forgiveness and eternity if he's dead to anyone. Christianity hinges on the resurrection. In the book of Acts, as we read about the early church, and we've been doing a lot of that around here as we've just walked through a large portion of the book of Acts, Paul is always preaching the resurrection. The hope that we have of Christians is, as Christians is always 
said to be the hope of the resurrection. Meaning that Christ is risen, that we have new life, and we also will be with Him, and we will always be with Him. That Easter is the reason that we live, because Christ lives, and we belong to Him. And you embrace Easter, and you have everything. And Thomas couldn't do it. But you know what we learn in this passage? We learn something very interesting. We learn that God is a God of power, raised from the dead, defeated death itself. Kind of like the same power that created the world. God is a God of power and the God of the joy of salvation. And we see that in Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. We see this in the disciples and and they're partying while Thomas is in pain. But we also see that God is a God of grace to doubters, isn't He? He's a God of grace to doubters. It's so touching if you just slow down and read this passage. If you get past the Sunday school, I already know what this says, kind of feeling about the passage on Doubting Thomas. If you just slow down, it's so touching. So Thomas, eight days later, is with them in a room. That detail that the doors were shut and Jesus appeared shows you that he is in a resurrection body, that he didn't need to walk through a door, and yet he is solid, you know, because he's going to be felt and touched. So Jesus appears in their midst, and you notice immediately, it's, like a, it's just like a, like a heat-seeking missile, he goes to Thomas. Notice what Jesus doesn't do with Thomas. How dare you? I told you I was going to Jerusalem. I told you I was going to be handed over. I told you I would be killed. I told you I would rise on the third day. How dare you doubt me? No. Jesus literally walks over to Thomas. And can you see him looking at Thomas lovingly, patiently? Jesus literally put reaches out to Thomas and says, Thomas, come close. Take my hand, Thomas. I mean, how loving is this? Thomas, he takes Thomas's hand. Can you see? He takes Thomas's finger and says, there, Thomas. There, feel it. Let me see your hand. There, Thomas. Do you feel it? And he says to Thomas, Do not disbelieve anymore. Believe. And Thomas touches him and says, and we can just imagine him falling to his knees, My Lord and my God. Yes. And it's Easter for Thomas. And it's the New Year's Day of the soul for Thomas. And for anyone who believes in the resurrection of Jesus. Folks, doubt is a part of life in a fallen world. We doubt all kinds of things. We doubt things about one another. 
We doubt things about our work. We doubt, th- I mean, we doubt all kind of, I mean, that's just kind of a part of the way things go. And believers definitely have times when their faith wavers. Peter did. Thomas did. I mean, shall we just go on? I don't have enough fingers and toes to do this, people. When our faith wavers and doubts arise, and it's okay, there is a certain kind of doubt that is okay. I'm not talking about hard, cold skepticism. Just determined to keep God at arm's length and find anything I can to keep Him away from me. That's not what. That's not the kind of doubt we're talking about. No, God is okay with the doubt that wants to believe. I believe, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Thomas says, I want to believe, but I can't. Thomas, by virtue of his thoroughness, the clarifier among the disciples, is earnestly wrestling with these things. And as we earnestly wrestle with things in our lives, it can give greater greater clarity to the faith because we go deeper sometimes, because we actually thought it through. We actually looked it in the face. We actually begin to click it through with the Scriptures looking for the truth. And we are often stronger. I love Tim Keller's famous statement. This is his most famous statement about doubts, this type of doubt. A faith, he says, without some doubts. You know, we're not saying, man, it's just so great to doubt all the time. Then you're authentic and real. and It's like, shut up. (laughs) A faith without some doubts is like a human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will sometimes find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy. Have you ever seen that? It's like, whoa, you know, God, God let this happen to me. I'm done. It's like, whoa, 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 you're done? Like we've been talking about the sovereignty of God, the love of God. Stuff happens in a fallen world. You're done? I'm done. Uh-uh. That's somebody hadn't thought it through, isn't it? He says it, sometimes they're defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a skeptic. Boy, that's happening today. More than ever. He goes on to say a person's faith can near collapse if he or she has failed over the years to listen patiently to his own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection and seeking and prayer. What an interesting thing to learn on Easter that this kind of doubt that wants to believe is okay with a God of grace. But we learn something more important than this. And here it is. But belief is better. Thomas, don't disbelieve anymore. Believe. So you heard that people in a fallen world doubt, that Thomas doubted, that Jesus was patient with Thomas doubting. And you heard me say, 
We need to work through the faith once delivered. We need, look, those of you who have children, we need to talk with them about what they are hearing, about what they are experiencing. We need to work with them philosophically, and we need to chapter and verse be able to apply God's truth to their lives and help them understand that, yes, we have a reasonable faith, more reasonable than anything else out there on the market is the Word of God, the truth of God. I'm not worried about being out in the marketplace of ideas with the Word of God. You know why? Because it is superior. Because we don't have to hide. Because Christianity is the one system of belief that actually describes life the way it really is. And a redemption that cannot come any other way if you are honest. Finally, honest. We learn the doubt, that kind of doubt is okay, but belief is better. And then Jesus says in verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Listen to these words. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's us. And I'm going to describe the word that this is in just one moment. And you know the word. You know the word. It's at the center of everything in the Scriptures. You know it. For those who want salvation, for those today who know Christ that want to be realigned with the hope and brightness and power of the resurrection, for those who want to celebrate the New Year's Day of the soul, yet again today, God gives faith. There's the word. Faith. Anything that is not done in faith, Romans says, is sin. The just shall live by faith. Sincere and earnest doubt that wants to believe is okay, and it can even be helpful. But faith is the power that changes us. Doubt may strengthen us, but only faith can save us. Only faith in the object of our faith, Christ, can change us. And there comes a time, people, when honest folks need to be honest about their doubts. Now I am talking about the skeptics. Hey, you can't just stop with holding a question mark over Jesus. You better hold a question mark over the stuff that you've tried to replace Him with. You better ask serious questions about why that is ultimately true. Why that might be eternally true if you believe in eternity at all. Sometimes we need to be honest enough to start doubting our doubts and see if our doubts are just convenience for us to live any way we want to or whether they are truly something that we would actually measure against the faith once delivered to the apostles. This is the era that we live in that we need to say, bring it. Come, let us reason together. This is the faith once delivered. This is the faith that took the Roman Empire by storm 
in the midst of the most intense persecution you've ever seen in your life for Christians. There is a time for doubt. And folks, there is a time to move past your doubting. Because doubt can be an addiction that just leads us to laziness and nothingness. Jesus doesn't leave us with the option of not dealing with Him. He either is who He says He is or He is not. Holding a question mark over Jesus indefinitely without answering the question is inadmissible and dishonest. I love this stuff. There's a time to believe and to experience the power of faith and the work of God in His love and in His salvation and in His grace and in His truth and in His leadership and in the joy of our salvation. It's Easter. And John chapter 20, from start to finish, is about people who encountered the risen Christ. It is, a, it is saying, John 20, to Mary Magdalene and the disciples, and finally to Thomas and to us, I am alive. Believe. The risen Christ says to the world this very day and through this text, it happened Deal with me. Believe. It was a very famous professor of law at Harvard Law School, Dr. Simeon Greenleaf. The reason I bring him to your attention is Dr. Greenleaf not only was a world-class law professor and was an agnostic, meaning that he was kind of fixed in this I-don't-know state, But Dr. Greenleaf was the world's leading authority on the laws of evidence. What evidence is admissible in a court of law and why? In fact, Dr. Greenleaf, and I don't know, maybe some of you lawyers read his book. I don't know. He wrote a book that evidently is pretty famous entitled A Treatise on Laws of Evidence. He was an agnostic, like I said, and one day a student challenged him to study the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, basically deal with it. Up or down on it, man. Dr. Simeon Greenleaf spent years exploring the evidence. you got to love somebody like that. Not that, I don't believe in that. Well, you need to doubt that impulse. You're literally going to stake your eternity on how you Feel about Jesus in a moment? Come on now. If this is real, you're toast. He says, I will will look into it. And for years, he looks into this evidence. He finally wrote at the end of the years, according to the laws of evidence, the resurrection of Christ is the best supported event in all of ancient history. Period. End of story. I mean, this is very common. We could talk about C.S. Lewis, and we could talk about so many other people. 
that actually took it seriously enough to quit just holding a question mark over Jesus, but to actually do the hard work of comparing supposed truth with the truth. But our hope is not in Dr. Greenleaf, is it? Our hope is in the Word of God. And our hope is in the Word of the Gospel and the good news of Jesus. You see, what Jesus is unique. And what Jesus did is unique. And the salvation that Jesus brings and offers in all the world and in all of time is unique. And what we have read in John 20 today is so wonderful because Jesus came for this purpose to earn for us a salvation that we could not earn for ourselves before a holy God. Now, either God's just a dude like us who sins and can't be trusted, or God is the all-powerful, the true, the wise, the loving, the holy. And we cannot make ourselves acceptable before a holy, holy, holy God. Because why? We are us. We are tainted by our own selfishness. And our own rebellion that wants to go our own way. We just are. And and look, that's what Christianity says. Please just admit that's exactly what we are. Deep in our hearts, we are selfish. And Jesus came to bring us salvation we could not earn for ourselves with a holy God. And Jesus died on the cross to clear the way for us. He literally took the punishment for the sin that we deserve against a holy God. He died for us and He rose for us according to the Scriptures. He gives us life and love eternally. But we must believe. Where is salvation if it's not in Jesus? You have to answer that question. You can't just hold a question mark over Jesus and be lazy. Where is salvation if it's not in Jesus? Who can earn it? I mean, is it truly, at the end of the day, the result of our goodness? Is it truly, at the end of the day, the result of a religious roadmap and regulations that we have checked off that we now hold our souls before a holy God and say, I am acceptable. Is it really? Or is it in the Son of God who was sent? Is it in love Himself, humility Himself, condescension Himself, who loved us so much that He died for us because there was no other way with a holy God? Why wouldn't we understand salvation in terms of Jesus? We can't even understand love outside of the concept of sacrifice. And if God is love and all we need is love, why would we not recognize that salvation is love? 
And salvation is sacrifice. And salvation is something God did for us and gives us solely because we can't earn it. This is good news. And he died and he rose according to the scriptures. But you must believe. And some of us, frankly, need to refresh. Because we believe in Jesus and He saved our soul and all that, but we act like He is not risen and reigning. We need the refresh on the joy of our salvation. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation, Lord. That is what Easter can do. We need to refresh. We need to feel the rising of joy and hope again. Amen? It's Easter. And I want us to say with the early church, we did it earlier. Thank you, Brad Mercer. But I want us to say it. Please don't say it if you don't mean it. By the way, your line is, He is risen indeed. I believe it. So here it goes. You either, you either say it or be quiet, but stop holding a question mark over Jesus. He is risen. He is risen Believe, receive, refresh, and rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, salvation has come to us because we cannot earn it. You are love. You did sacrifice. But thank you that you didn't stay in the grave because none of that would have been ours. Because a dead Jesus simply couldn't give it to us. But thank you, Lord, that you rose from the dead, you ascended into heaven, and you are seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We rejoice in this truth. We rejoice that our life is hidden in Christ in God because of your love and sacrifice and your resurrection. Oh, Lord, would you be the lifter of the heads of your people who are going through different things, who are struggling with different challenges? Oh, Lord, would you give faith? Would you give the refreshment of belief and the power of change that comes into our lives as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Because you are not only the author, but because you rose, you are the finisher of our faith. And we praise you, risen Christ, in Jesus' name. Amen.